I thought the purpose of Bitcoin was to have privacy in your money and to have sound digital money. So if I invest in an ETF and I get the proceeds and the rise in price from Bitcoin, but doesn't that defeat the purpose of a Bitcoin in the first place? Good morning. Welcome back to Looking Backwards, Looking Forwards. I'm Osseti Johns and I'm here with C. Thomas Printer. Looking backwards, Bitcoin ETFs are now on the headlines. You got BlackRock, you got Invesco. They have applied for SEC approval. Is there a silver line for Bitcoin, C. Thomas? Well, looking backward, I made a mistake last week and uh, for our loyal listeners of only LBLF. And I said that uh, Germany makes Volvos and Germany makes Volkswagens, not Volvos. I'm very sorry, Sweden, uh, but I have to point <laughs> this out. So I did on uh, bygone relics, but I wanted to do it for LBLF as well. As for the Bitcoin ETFs. So this is confusing and maybe you can explain this to me. I thought the purpose of Bitcoin was to have privacy in your money and to have sound digital money. And so I understand from BlackRock's perspective, they have a bunch of people that invest in their ETF. They go out and buy the underlying Bitcoin and you have a Bitcoin ETF. So if I invest in an ETF and I get the proceeds and the rise in price from Bitcoin, but doesn't that defeat the purpose of a Bitcoin in the first place? Hmm. Maybe, maybe. Maybe, right? So <laughs> uh, please sell the Bitcoin that you have, Mr. Government, uh, and then send me the proceeds in US dollars that I'm buying the Bitcoin to protect myself from. Like, mm -hmm. it, it doesn't make any sense from a Bitcoin perspective. If I'm a Bitcoin maxi, and I believe in Bitcoin is the way, the truth, and the life, just like the Lord Jesus Christ, and everything revolves around Bitcoin, which all you have to do is open up Twitter, and you can find an entire, you know, ecosystem that believes that. Okay, let's just assume that to be true. The last thing you'd want to do is go right back in the system and buy it and purchase it through an ETF, wouldn't you? So I'm very confused with what the purpose of this underlying uh, ETF is. So the pro what they're doing right now is they're having trouble getting this through the SEC. And um, they've tried this a couple different ways and they've mm -hmm. tried to you know work it through Coinbase and there's some surveillance issues that are holding it up. But in terms of a product that would have popularity, the only thing I can think of is they're just going to try to sell this to the masses or other in, you know, industrial, not industrial, um, finance, um, opening, it, opening it up for uh, pensions and, you know, large institutions to purchase it and have access and exposure to Bitcoin. But I just don't see any Bitcoin people using it. So I find it very interesting that they're really going to this much work to put this product together. Okay. And how about CPI? Core CPI came out lower than expected. Um, I'm sure you will point out, but food CPI is quite strong, it appears. Yes. So the core was... Um, up 4.8 percent uh excluding food and energy the cpi itself was up three percent from last year the fed likes the core which is the excluding of food and energy um 
last year was June is what we were measuring June 2022 over June 2023 gasoline and the price at the pump peaked last year in June so we have to think about what we were measuring last year in June the CPI the CPI was up 9.1% now we're up 3% a year later okay so from two years ago we were up 9% and then from that elevated level we're up another 3% and this is as good as the comps get because starting in July of next year, we're up less than that 9.1%. So if we're still at these elevated levels, this just doing the math is going to make it harder and harder to show that inflation has indeed um, come off and is going in the right direction. Even if we go up to like 3.6% in July or something, well, that's from a lowered level from last July. So if our prices stay exactly the same today and we're measuring them a month from now, what's going to happen? Well, if they came down in, in July last year um, from June and energy prices certainly have, that's going to make it a very difficult comp. And this is why some people like Jim Bianco are saying inflation is troughed right now and we're going to go up for the next you know few months and it has nothing to do with really prices it has to do with the measurements and how we did it from last year so that's interesting in itself what i find even more interesting is like you said the food prices are still very very high energy prices are the one that is giving us the most relief right now however energy prices in the last two weeks have been going up these cuts and supply disruptions on the energy side and by disruptions meaning the rig count at the baker hughes rig count has been going down and down and down and they're down about 10 12 percent in the last few months that means less supply less supply and supply and demand eventually when you combine this with opec plus's cuts we're going to have less supply. When we have less supply and now China's open, America's open, Europe's open, everyone's traveling, and then we're about to go into the season when Europe has to fill its energy coffers again, I don't see how we don't have higher energy. And it doesn't have to go to 150. It can go to 85 or 90, but that's still gonna drive up prices. And so if we start getting a reversal in the energy prices, we could see this inflation turning around just through the math and the energy component of it, and we could have higher inflation. And if we have higher inflation, what do you think the Fed is going to do? <laughs> they say they're not going to give up on their mandate till we get down to 2%, which means they're probably going to raise, raise rates, and they've already said that they're going to. So now mm -hmm. we have two things, and I tend to believe them. But it doesn't seem like the market does because the market is already pricing in oh yeah we're going to pivot here and it's it we've reached the peak of interest rates and everything's good and that's the that's one of the things that's a headwind for the markets moving forward another comparison let's make about ford sales of electric vehicles apparently ford dealerships are selling fewer electric vehicles than they were this time last year so the only, not the only, but I'd say, I'd say the best comparison that I've been thinking about with EV vehicles is to, do you remember Impossible Meats, that plant-based meat that was going to go into Burger King and McDonald's and take all the market share? And it went in there and it got its six, seven, eight percent market share, and then it kind of stopped. And now it's kind of reversed. And those companies are in real, real serious trouble because they're not making any money. They probably never did make any money if I looked at them more thoroughly. And now they're finding out that everybody in America didn't 
decide to eat a plant-based cheeseburger that had red food dye to make it look like an actual burger coming off the grill. What? You mean the customer didn't like something and they chose with their wallet to not buy it? <laughs> That's what's happening with the EVs. So the EV inventory is starting to grow and grow as Tesla, which has delivered fewer than it has produced, I believe for the last three quarters, Ford is starting to see their inventory go up and up and up on their lots of EV cars, but not internal internal engine, internal combustion engine vehicles. That number is actually very, very low. And what it comes down to is unless the government mandates that you have to buy one of these, I don't see the customer ever saying, you know what, I think I'm going to trade my car in for something that I have to go charge for 45 minutes. Why? Because it's not in the best interest of the customer, right? I, I think there's a certain segment of the population that wants these, and I think they've bought them. They might be buying another one. Some of the first time owners might be moving into this, but quite frankly, last year when gas was high, people were saying, you know what, I think I will take a, you know, take a uh, EV vehicle and mm -hmm. I can save money. And now gas is lower and that's taken a little bit of the pressure off. And I think the demand is lower for these. I think the other thing too is I'm starting to see electricity prices go high. In fact, I saw an article the other day that per mile, it is now more expensive to drive an EV vehicle in the US than it is gas because the price mm. of gas has come down from last year. So as a selling point, it's pretty tough to tell me that it's more expensive and I have to wait 45 minutes minutes to charge it. Mm -hmm. Why would I buy one of these again? I, I don't know. I don't so, have the answer. <laughs> you don't have the answer. And neither does Ford, evidently, because they're the customer speaking. And this is the invisible hand of the market. The market wins. The market will always win. And the customer will always win. So you can produce something. And if no one buys it, that's on you. And you're going to have a real problem financially. And the, the customers will move their tastes and their interest to a company that is satisfying their wants and needs, not somebody that is producing something that they don't want, but they think has got a mandate or a green mandate to do so. And so this is where the market decides, not companies, not governments. And anytime you force something on this and on the customer, and if they don't care for it, you've got a real problem. Impossible meats, impossible EVs. <laughs> Very well. And let's look forward, see Thomas, in the Nord Stream sabotage investigation, traces of explosive have been found in a yacht, according to the diplomats. Well, how interesting. So <laughs> I think what we're going to find is looking forwards, it's going to be very difficult to ever find a real answer. But evidently, mm -hmm. they found traces of undersea explosives on a sample from a yacht that was part of the probe. This yacht, it was hired by a Ukrainian company in Poland to carry out the attack, and the vessel took off from the German port of Rostock. Okay, so let's flash backwards to what we were talking about when we said this could be the US, it could be the Russians, that didn't make sense. It could be the Ukrainians saying, ooh, we need to keep you in this war. We might never not ever find out who the true perpetrators of this, but I think what we're finding out that yes, it was sabotage. Somebody went out there in the middle of the night and I believe this, this said that, um, 
uh, Denmark, Sweden, and Germany are investigating the attack. What would happen if Denmark and Sweden and Germany find out that it was the Ukraine that blew it up? Would it change the perception of Ukraine on the global stage right now? How would Europe react to that? Would Europe hang them out to dry? There is a very, very, very vested interest to not find out that it was the Ukrainians or the US. So those are the two, like we said, that make the most sense, but I right. don't know that we'll ever get a real answer of who it was, right? Just like Joe Biden has cocaine in the White House now, and they came back <laughs> with a, um, a definitive ruling that they have no idea whose cocaine it was. Even though it's the White House, the Secret Service is there, you would think they'd have cameras on everything, but they can't figure out whose cocaine it is. I don't think we'll ever find out who actually was involved, unless we believe Seymour Hirsch, in which case we know exactly who was involved. <laughs> Okay, and um, the CEO, C. Thomas, of an e-commerce platform laid off 90% of his support staff, replaced them with an AI chatbot. Well, I mean, aren't we all for AI and this new chat and chat GPT and all these chat bots that are going to do the work and increase productivity? And that's why Google's up. That's why Microsoft's up. Is up this is the productivity miracle we've been waiting for. Well, Sumit Shah, the CEO of e-commerce platform Dukan, I hope I'm saying that right. He laid off 90% of his customer support staff. And why? An AI chatbot responding to a customer took less than two minutes to respond to customer queries while his human support staff took over two hours. Looks like his human support staff was updating their Instagram page, maybe making a TikTok dance on company time. How does the difference in productivity be this much? It's unbelievable, right? So when you look at this, he says that um, he had 60 people, 26 in the customer support team, and he let 23 of them go. He said his monthly budget for customer support is now $100. That level of productivity gain, if you're really, really doing this at that level where you can replace 23 people with this, it's going to find its way into business. People are going to be employed, unemployed in mass, and this is going to be a real problem. Is it going to be more productive? Yes. Are businesses going to make more money? Yes. Are the people going to be unemployed, probably protesting in the streets? Yes. We've been talking about these issues for quite some time now. Indeed. And speaking of AI, federal trade Commission is investigating OpenAI on ChatGPT data collection and publication of false information. Well, this is the second article that we're going to discuss here on OpenAI and ChatGPT and all this. And this is an mm -hmm. interesting one we've been talking about is the accuracy of that. Right, so let's say Sumat Shah has replaced 23 of his 26 customer support people. And let's say, I don't even know what his company does, it's an e-commerce platform, but let's say they buy something from him. And let's say ChatGPT gets the address wrong and sends it to somebody else. Well, I don't care how many people you can replace if your customers don't get the product, if AI is doing it wrong, it doesn't help your business, it hurts your business. Well. There's now a lawsuit in uh, the FTC that says, hold on, we have some uh, 
inaccurate information. We've already covered this once, but um, the uh, this we covered this before with the lawyer that was sanctioned for submitting fake cases. Um, remember when in a chat GPT just um, right. halluc hallucinated two mm -hmm. fake cases and the judge is like, we can't find these and they just made them up. <laughs> well, we have more more issues with this. Uh, so we know that the Bard first, first public demo at Google wasn't very good. And The Verge talks about this as well as they discuss the lawsuit. Um, the author of this Verge uh, article was Amelia David. And she said when she tried it, she says, based on personal experience, both have spit out incredibly flattering, though completely invented facts about herself. Well, that's interesting. And a Georgia radio host is suing the company for results that he claimed he was accused of embezzlement. So hold on. If I'm a Georgia radio host and someone puts my name into ChatGPT and it comes back that I'm accused of embezzlement, we have a slanderous situation here. And so this is why the accuracy of these models needs to be taken into account. And I just don't think it's accurate. I mean, it's super cool, right? It's, it's basically like a fiction creating machine. And there's certain uses for it that I think are very, very good, right? Um, let's say that you have Spanish and you upload all of Spanish and you have English and you upload this and you have a translation service that you can say, hey, ChatGPT, how do you say this? We kind of already have this, right, in Google Translate, but it's the same type of thing. You type it in and it'll give you an answer back that it can be accurate at. Asking for a Georgia radio host history and it comes back with embezzlement, is that just making that up? And if so, you can't use this for any sort of public use because you're going to be facing inaccuracies with lawsuit possibilities and all sorts of other things that range from my customer got the wrong product to now I'm being accused of slander. I just don't cool. think this is ready. I think this technology is cool. I think it has some simple uses right now, but these companies that I think, oh yeah, this is just going to change everything for me. And including Suma Cha, who's laying off 23 of 26 customer service people. Listen, you can do that, but you're going to open up another Pandora's box of potential problems. I just don't think this technology is ready yet. And I think we've been promised this for 10 years with self-driving cars, and it hasn't got here yet. And right now in San Francisco, the self-driving cars come up to a construction lane and they create all sorts of problems. And people in San Francisco are putting orange cones on these self-driving cars because there's such a problem. And that disables the cars because the car doesn't know what to do because it has an orange traffic cone on it. So it's the same <laughs> thing that we're dealing with with ChatGPT. Someone needs to put an orange cone on it until it's better. And then we can all start adopting it and using it. But right now, it's just a toy that's very cool, very interesting. But I just don't think it's reliable enough to use in this. Okay, see, Thomas. <laughs> Thank you very much for your uh, fun comments. Um, and I will talk to you next week. Before we close, let's remind our listeners that they can watch us on YouTube or listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or read on cthomasprinter.com. Thank you, Austerity. And until next week, here is what I found in ChatGPT for you. Two plus two equals fish. <laughs>